This morning and to all the moms in the audience, let me say happy Mother's Day to all of you. And to all of you guys who have moms and you haven't called her yet, make sure that you call your mom. That's the public service announcement for today. Um, whether you are here for the first time or you've been coming to Netherwood Park for 50 years, there's some things about this church that you really should know. And I want to tell you four of those things as we start this morning. The first thing that you should know about us at Netherwood Park is we are a church that believes in the power of God's word. That's why you'll hear us talk about Project 9K and you'll see uh, Bible reading topics in the bulletin and you'll see that we put a high a high uh, honor on God's word. And at Project 9K is our Bible reading challenge. We've challenged ourselves here at Netherwood Park to read at least 9,000 books of the Bible in 2017. And I want you to know that so far we have read 1,947 books of the Bible. So we're making good progress toward our goal. Something else that you need to know about us at this church is we're a church that believes that prayer is powerful and that prayer is effective. And because we believe in the power of prayer, we are constantly praying for each other, and we're constantly praying for the needs of our community of believers here and the needs of the world around us, and we would love to pray for you. So if you have something in your life that you would like for us to pray for, we'd love to know about it so we can pray for you. All you need to do to let us know about that is if you pull out one of the green cards that you'll find in front of you. This is a communication card. On one side, you'll see that it says prayer request. If you'd fill out your request on that card, drop it in one of our collection boxes. You can know that we will honor your request. You can find two of the boxes at the back of the auditorium. You can find another one through these double doors. The third thing that you need to know about Netherwood is that we're a church that recognizes and believes in the power of believers' baptism. See, we believe that when you confess Jesus as your Lord, when you join in his death and his burial and his resurrection in the waters of baptism, it's then that you're raised up as a new creation with your sins left behind, that then you're clothed with Jesus Christ, you're given the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you're able to walk in the freedom of life in Jesus Christ. So if you're here and you believe that Jesus is Lord and you haven't been baptized, we really should have a conversation about that. And to have that conversation, we need to know about your desire to have that conversation. So again, using this green communication card, on the back of it you'll see a place on there where you can fill out your contact information and a box that you can check that says, I would like to talk to someone about baptism. And if you'll do that, you can know that I'll contact you right away to have that conversation with you. And the fourth thing that you need to know about this church is we strongly believe in the importance of every Christian to belong to a local congregation. As we say, to place membership with a local congregation. And we believe that you should be a member of this congregation, but certainly a member of a congregation. So if you've been attending Netherwood for a while... And you haven't yet let us know that you want to be a part of this congregation so that you can work alongside us, so that you can serve with us, so that you can put yourself under the oversight of this eldership. Won't you also use this card? Communicate to us that you would like to be a member of this church. So on that same side, if you'll fill out your contact information and check the box about church membership, drop it in the collection box we'll have that conversation as well. So whatever you need to communicate to us, please let us know.
Well, today we're going to talk about something simple. We're going to talk about changing the world. But before we do that, let's pray to the creator of this world. Father, you are the creator of this world. And Father, you look down on us after you created this world. And Father, you look down on us in love. But Father, you saw that we had a need for a Savior and you sent us Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for that gift. Father, we thank you for loving us so much that you would sacrifice your Son on our behalf. And Father, as people who call on the name of Jesus Christ, as people who recognize him as our Lord and Savior, Father, help us to live like he lived. Father, help us to bring his love and his peace his harmony to this earth that you created. And Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, I really don't expect any of you to remember last Mother's Day, but if you happen to remember that, you'll remember that as I introduced my sermon, I talked about my mom. And I mentioned that my mom, every Mother's Day, when we would ask her the question, what do you want for Mother's Day, she would consistently reply, I just want you boys to get along. You'll also maybe remember that I said that her asking for three teenage brothers to just get along was the equivalent of asking for world peace. Maybe not impossible to achieve, but highly unlikely to happen. Well, today we're not going to have a traditional Mother's Day sermon, but in honor of my mom, we're going to talk about just getting along, and we're going to talk about world peace. Let's start out by bringing up a picture that hopefully some of you will remember. How many of you people recognize this picture? It's from a TV commercial from a long time ago. In fact, it first aired in 1971. And it's considered by many people to be the most famous TV commercial of all time. The TV show Mad Men resurrected it recently and just added to its fame. And in that commercial, a camera panned across young faces, young, diverse faces. Hundreds of young people who were gathered together on the top of a mountain in Italy. And as that camera moved from face to face, a song was being sung. And the lyrics go something like this. I'd like to buy the world a home. You're probably disappointed I'm not singing it, aren't you? I'd like to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. Grow apple trees and honeybees and snow white turtle doves. I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect harmony. And then becomes the commercial. I'd like to buy the world a Coke and keep it company. That's the real thing. And that commercial and that song were incredibly popular. And I think that commercial was so popular because it tapped into a common desire that most people have. A desire that's not restricted to the 1960s and the 1970s. It's a desire that we share today. A desire for unity, a desire for peace, a desire for love across nations and nationalities. A desire for the whole world to be able to sing in perfect harmony. And I think that by a world, by the world, a Coke ad was so popular because it spoke to this hope that we have that maybe we could find some great unifying thing, some great unifying force that could move the world from how it is 
to how it should be. A world where we all just get along, singing in perfect harmony. Well, let's continue down memory lane. How many of you remember this popular sentiment that first appeared on bumper stickers around the same time as that Coke commercial? Still see the bumper sticker sometimes today. It says, visualize world peace. It expresses the notion that if we could all just visualize world peace, then maybe we could achieve world peace. Of course, not everybody bought into that notion, so a competing and less optimistic bumper sticker also made its rounds very quickly after the first one showed up, and it said, visualize world peace, which might be easier to do. So people said, well, we can't visualize world peace. We might as well visualize world peace. And unfortunately, I think maybe all of us would agree that this world that we live in today looks more like world peace than it does like world peace. And when we look back on the 60s and the 70s and that commercial, the Buy the World a Coke commercial, and the Visualize World Peace bumper stickers and other things that were going on at that time, it's really easy for us to conclude that those times people were just hopelessly naive. And given this world peace world that we live in now, it could be easy to conclude that there's really nothing that we can do. Nothing that we can do to help bring unity and peace and love to this world we live in. It's easy to dismiss those flower child ideals of the 60s and 70s as hopelessly naive, but also as just simply hopeless. I mean, what can we do? What can I do? What can you do? What can we do? To make this world we live in look much more like a peaceful garden and less like an unruly weed patch. Should we just buy the entire world a Coke? Or maybe instead of singing about buying Cokes and bringing harmony, we should be singing another song that was popular in the 60s and 70s. Remember the song Kumbaya? Kumbaya, Lord, come by here, Lord. Maybe we should try singing that in harmony. Because at least then we'd be recognizing that peace and love and unity requires divine intervention. Well, I've got good news this morning. The Lord has come by here. And the Lord has brought unity and he's brought love and he's brought peace and he's brought harmony. And because the Lord has come by here, those notions aren't hopelessly naive. And they're not hopeless. And I can do something. And you can do something. And we can do something to make this world we live in look more like a peaceful garden and less like an unruly weed patch or a mess of whirled peas. And I think the way for us to do something to help bring change to this weed patch we live in is summed up in yet another slogan that was popular in the 60s and 70s. And that slogan said, think globally and act locally. 
Now, that slogan was primarily used over the years by environmentalists. But I want us to see this morning how that slogan, how thinking globally and acting locally locally is actually a very biblical concept. It's a very biblical way for Christ followers to live if we want this unruly weed patch world to be more of a peaceful garden. And it works like this. If we as Christians want to change and improve the world, then by definition we're thinking globally, aren't we? We're not just thinking about ourselves, we're thinking about this entire world. But the way that we change and improve the world is by acting locally. And you can't get any more local than this. I change the world by changing me. And you change the world by changing you. And when we do that, that causes the first domino to fall. When we act locally, when we change and improve ourselves, we also change and improve our homes. We change and improve our families when we change and improve ourselves. And a changed and improved family is a wonderful thing, isn't it? It's a great goal to have. But the changes shouldn't stop there. See, our church home is changed and it's improved when our homes and our families change and improve. Netherwood is changed and improved when our families And our homes are changed and improved. And having a changed and improved church home is a great thing, isn't it? And it's a great goal to have. But the changes don't stop there. Because the worldwide church is changed and improved when our church home is improved. When Netherwood is changed and improved. And and changed and improved worldwide church is a wonderful and fantastic thing, isn't it? It's a fantastic goal to have, but the changes don't stop there. Because when the world is changed and improved, that comes about because the church has been changed and improved. See, changing the globe from an unruly weed patch to a peaceful garden begins with me. It's my responsibility. And it begins with you. It's your responsibility. It begins with us. It begins locally. And I know that a changed and improved world seems like a huge goal, right? An insurmountable goal. But I want you to know it's a goal that's not too big for people who claim to follow the risen Christ. There's no goal too big for that people. In fact, I want you to know that our goal shouldn't be just to help this world look more like a garden. Our goal should be to make this world look more like the garden. Our scripture reading just a few minutes ago was from the Genesis account of the creation of the world and the creation of the garden, the Garden of Eden. 
And that garden was a place where mankind was welcomed by God to live in unity and love and peace and harmony. But then we know what happened. Tragically, the serpent, Satan, tempted Adam and Eve and they gave in to the temptation to be their own gods. And so God removed them from the garden. And our world has been this unruly weed patch ever since. A weed patch where unity and love and peace and harmony have seemed in very short supply. But as we've seen over the last few months, as we've moved our way through the gospel of John, God didn't give up on his world and he didn't give up on his people. There was always hope. And that hope broke into the world in the person of Jesus Christ. The light of the world was sent from God and it was sent to bring love to all mankind. And even though the world didn't recognize Jesus, even though the world didn't accept Jesus, all was not hopeless. And it wasn't hopeless because Jesus crucified became Jesus raised. And after the Holy Spirit was poured out and thousands were baptized, then we have another garden moment. You see, that first church in Jerusalem is the new garden. It's the new garden where once more God's people lived in unity. They lived in peace. They lived in love. They lived in harmony. Just listen to what it was like to live in the new garden. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Then in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32 we read, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. And with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. It's the new garden. And it's right there in the middle of Jerusalem. It's a new garden marked by unity and marked by love and marked by peace and marked by harmony. And their unity and love and peace and harmony, it didn't come about because they all shared a Coke. Although if they'd had Coke, I'm sure they would have shared them. No, their unity and their peace and their love and their harmony, it came about because they shared everything. Everything that truly mattered. 
They shared devotion. They were devoted to the same things. They were devoted to their God. And they were devoted to his word. And they were devoted to each other. And because they were devoted to each other, they were in constant fellowship with each other. And they were devoted to Jesus Christ. They not only shared their meals with each other, they shared their bread and their wine together as they remembered their Savior. And they were devoted to prayer. And so together they lifted their prayers to their God. And because they shared their devotions, they were united with each other. They had everything in common. And they had everything in common because they had Jesus Christ in common. And because they had Jesus Christ in common, they gave to anyone who had need. After all, why wouldn't you give to someone with whom you have everything in common? And they shared everything. After all, why wouldn't you share everything with someone with whom you have everything in common? And they were in perfect harmony. They were one in heart. They were one in mind. To use the language from the marriage class we've been going through, this garden was filled with good-willed people. They wanted the best for each other. After all, why wouldn't you want the best for those with whom you have everything in common? And the people around them noticed this garden. They noticed this garden because it was full of devoted, good-willed people who had everything in common. And because they had everything in common, they enjoyed the favor of everyone. And because they enjoyed the favor of everyone, the boundaries of this garden continued to grow. And listen to this. They changed the world. If they hadn't changed the world, we wouldn't be here today in this place worshiping together. I don't know if those first Christians were thinking globally, but they acted locally and they changed the world. And they changed the world because they were changed. They were changed individually. And since they were changed, their homes and their families were changed. And their church was changed. And that ended up changing the world. And here we are a couple of thousand years after that new garden time in Jerusalem. And I think it's natural for us to ask, what happened? How did we get from a church that had everything in common and was of one heart and one mind and enjoyed the favor of all the people to where we are in the world today? Where people who wear the name of Christ are more known for their divisions and their disputes than they are known for their harmony. What happened to the garden? Well, pest happened to the garden. How many of you people recognize this evil creature? That creature is sent directly from Satan. That's a squash bug. 
And if you've ever tried to grow squash in your garden, you have learned to hate squash bugs. If you've ever planted any kind of squash in your garden, you can be sure that squash bugs will follow. Even if there hasn't been any squash planted within miles of that place, squash bugs will find your squash plants. And when squash bugs find your garden, your plants are in danger. Remember the original garden? That garden was destroyed with the help of the original garden pest. The serpent. Satan and his lies. And this new garden in Jerusalem was almost immediately attacked by Satan. And by his pests. We're going to call them squash bugs. These garden pests, those squash bugs sent from Satan, they're still with us today. And those squash bugs damage the new garden in Jerusalem, and they damage its witness then. And those squash bugs, those pests, they continue to damage the church and its witness today. And when the church... When the garden becomes recognized more for its pests and less for its fruit, it's then that the church loses its witness to the world. It's then that the world loses its ability, the church loses its ability to change the world. It loses its ability to change the world because it looks just like the world. When the garden, when the church is known more for its selfishness and its pride and its jealousy and its ambition than it's known for its peace and its patience and its kindness, the church loses its witness. When the garden, when the church is known more for its anger, for its distrust, for its dishonesty than it's known for its love, and its gentleness, and its self-control, it's then that the church loses its witness. When the church is known more for its busyness and all of its distractions, when it's known more for its worldliness, than it's known for its love and its joy and its goodness and its faithfulness, it's then that the church loses its witness. And when the church loses its witness, the church loses its ability to change the world. And so today, in honor of my mom on this Mother's Day, I have a very modest proposal to put before us. I'm really not asking for much for Mother's Day. Just that we change the world. And we change the world by acting locally. Just that we change the world by growing a better garden here in this place. That we change the world by planting and watering and feeding a better garden. And make no mistake, a better garden begins with us. It begins with me. It begins with you. It begins with good-willed gardeners. And good-willed gardeners want the best for each other. I want the best for you, and you want the very best for me. 
Because we're good-willed gardeners. See, good-willed gardeners look for the best in each other. And good-willed gardeners expect the best out of each other. I look for the best in you, and I expect the best out of you. And you look for the best in me, and you expect the best out of me. And good-willed gardeners produce good fruit. And they produce good fruit because good-willed gardeners plant good seeds. They plant the good seeds of devotion. Devotion to God and devotion to His Word. Devotion to each other. Devotion to prayer. And good-willed gardeners plant the good seeds of unity. They have everything in common. Because they never forget that they have Jesus Christ in common. And so they plant good seeds by giving to those in need and by sharing what they have. And good seed that's planted and watered and fed by good-willed gardeners produces good fruit. The good fruit of love and joy and peace and patience, the good fruit of kindness and goodness, the good fruit of faithfulness and gentleness, the good fruit of self-control. And when our garden is known for our fruit, instead of being known for our squash bugs, you can be sure that we will be known for having the favor of all the people. And it's then that our boundaries will grow. And by acting locally, we will change the world. So I'm not asking for much for Mother's Day. Just that we change the world. And if you want to change the world, don't buy it a Coke. Instead, grow a better garden. Change yourself, and you'll change your home. If you want to have a more loving, joyful, and peaceful home, be a more loving, joyful, and peaceful person. And if your home is changed, you will change your church. If you want to have a more patient, kind, and faithful Netherwood Park, then have a more patient, kind, and faithful home. And if your church, if Netherwood is changed, will change the worldwide church. And if you want the church to be known for its goodness and its gentleness and its self-control, then make sure that Netherwood is known for its goodness, its gentleness, its self-control. And when we change the church, make no mistake, the world will be changed. And that starts with us. So let's change the world. Let's change the world with our love and our joy and our peace and our patience. Let's change the world with our kindness and our faithfulness. Let's change the world with our gentleness and our self-control. Let's change the world to look more like Jesus. Let's pray. 
Father, make us look more like Jesus. So that, Father, we will be the salt and the light and the leaven in this world. So the world will come to look more like him. Father, that's our prayer through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing. Let's ask God to give us the hearts of servants.